Sidewalk Audio and PatioBooks.com presents The Prince of Hazel and Oak, a podcast novel by John Lenahan. Book two of the Shadow Magic series. Read by the author. Chapter 40 The Isles What must have been a thousand brownies and banshees swarmed onto the stone plain. They looked like those red army ants you see in old Tarzan movies. I was half expecting the fallen to end up as stone white skeletons. As soon as they got into range, our arrows flew. The fallen were not even considered by their comrades. If the arrows didn't kill them, then the trampling surely must have. The same fate awaited those that tripped on the stone field. Just behind the first wave were a line of siege ladders carried by teams of three. The ladders had shields strapped to the front so as to protect the carriers from all but the sharpest archers who aimed for their heads and legs. Dahi assigned his best bowmen for that task, and they had a reasonably high measure of success. Still, any ladder-bearer that was hit was instantly replaced by another. The ladders clambered closer. All the while, volleys of arrows came to us from the back of the enemy's advance. Dahi's ramparts were well-designed, giving cover as well as enough gaps for the archers to continue shooting, even while arrows were flying in. One gleam arrived during the first part of the attack, but was swiftly taken care of by a special gleam team that Neve had equipped with gold earplugs. The enemy soldiers that reached the ramparts huddled together under their shields in an arrow-proof phalanx. The ones that did this too close to the walls had boulders thrown at them by a team of very brawny leprechaun miners. The huge rocks smashed into the shields, and then the archers finished them off. I'd like to be able to say that I was appalled by all of this bloodshed, but as those ladders drew closer, the realization that this screaming horde was hell-bent on killing me, it caused a bloodlust to explode in my brain. Some men never get over this experience and sell themselves as mercenaries for the rest of their lives in order to feel that savage passion again. As for me, I have no want to repeat the experience, but... I would be lying if I said it was unpleasant. In fact, it was damn exciting. Never have I felt so alive. It was kill or be killed. And every fallen enemy soldier was one that I knew I wouldn't have to face with my sword. And I cheered with the rest of my comrades as each one went down. When the ladders reached the ramparts, I finally got to use my sword. It was a good blade, but heavier and nowhere near as finely balanced as the Sword of Door. I missed the lawnmower. I had a fleeting image of the last time I saw it sticking out of the underbelly of Dragon Red. A ladder hit below my gap in the wall. I tried to reach down and push it, but it was just out of reach. The leprechaun boulder tossers were engaged elsewhere, so I waited for the first of the brownies to climb the ladder. He reached the top in no time, and we engaged in a pointless, just-out-of-reach sword fight where we clinked sword tips, but were too far away from each other to make serious contact. My father's sword-fighting instructions sprang into my head. 
when an attack ceases to make sense. He once said to me, right before he tripped me over a low wire that he had earlier set up in the garden. Look around, something else might be happening. I continued to swing, but looked under the ladder and saw another brownie with a crossbow taking aim at my nose. I ducked back just in time to avoid a bolt in the brain. A gleam came over the wall far to my right. The gleam team got to it quickly, but not in time to prevent a couple of banshees from clearing the ramparts. They fought and allowed another five to reach the top before they were thrown back over. Ladders had now reached almost every part of the rampart wall. All of the ladders seemed to me to be too low. It made them difficult for us to repel by pushing them over, but it also made it extremely difficult for the enemy to breach the top of the walls. It didn't make sense. I used my father's advice again and scanned the length of the battlements. That's when I noticed that under every ladder was a team of two soldiers crouched down fiddling with something at the base of the wall. I shouted to Dahi, Something is happening under the ladders! As he looked, a horn was blown and all the attackers dropped from their ladders and ran away from the wall. Retreat! Dahi shouted. Everyone off the battlements! Having been a student of the master, I didn't have to hear a Dahi order twice. I flew off my post and into the midst of the Hall of Knowledge. A few of my comrades were not so lucky. The explosion blew a dozen holes in our defenses. The leprechauns and imps that were on the wall were thrown twenty feet into the air. Back to the aisles, Dahi ordered. Back to the aisles. Our secondary defense was what Dahi called the aisles. We had knocked down some of what was left of the hall's walls and reinforced others. The idea was to force any advancing army into narrow channels, aisles, allowing us to battle one or two abreast, as opposed to a huge wave of marauders. Archers were positioned so as to shoot anyone that tried to come over the top. The air hadn't even cleared when the banshees covered with the white dust of the explosions came screaming out of the smoke. Dahi had said that there would be blood. Well, this was the time he was talking about. I don't know how many I killed. All I know is that they weren't very well trained. They had strength and the energy that adrenaline brings, but they all swung madly and allowed me to parry their wild swings to the outside and stab them in the chest or if they were wearing breast protectors in the shoulder. May the gods forgive me, but what else could I do? Even though I was Killing many, I gave ground with almost every clash, and I was getting tired. An imp finally grabbed me from behind, pulled me back into the hall, and took my place in the front of the aisle. I found Dahi barking orders outside of the library. On my left, a bunch of banshees broke through, and Yogi, as a bear, roared into them, throwing two into the air and shocking the others into retreat, while Dahi ordered swordsmen back into that aisle. This battle was not going well, and it was just about to get a whole lot worse. A group of banshees had snuck around to the site of the first attack. They guessed that if they each carried a bough of a tree, that the gold strips might not register the branches as weapons and would let them through. They guessed right. Because of our small numbers, we had only defended the hill with a handful of soldiers. The banshees attacked with the branches and at the same time catapulted a bag of swords over the wall from the side. The banshees quickly overpowered the guards on the hill and armed themselves. 
Our defenses were dangerously thinned as soldiers were ordered to defend the Tree of Knowledge on two fronts. I think at this point, Dahi would have surrendered, but no one was offering. This was it. It was a fight to the death, and the realization hit me that the death would soon be ours. That's when time began to slow for me. Not a good sign. My gift is only a help when I'm personally in a fight. Here, watching this failing battle, my gift was a curse. Just as it was when I watched Fergal die. I saw my comrades fall in slow motion. I saw every wound, every spurt of blood, as if I was watching some bad war movie. It also gave me time to assess the entire battlefield, and what I saw told me it was all over. We were moments away from being overrun. The aisle on the left broke. Banshees and brownies poured out. Dahi called forward the soldiers that had been guarding the tree. A melee of hand-to-hand combat opened in the yard. I looked for Essa. If this was to be the end, I wanted to be at her side. In the confusion, I couldn't see her, but I heard her when she yelled, The sky! I looked up as the entire firmament turned into flame. A huge fireball rolled over and through the holes in the shattered battlements. Fire leapt in and set alight the attackers at the entrance of the aisles. Flames rolled over the top of the defenses, forcing us to hit the ground as hairs curled on the tops of our heads. Then, swooping through the smoke, flew a huge green dragon. It circled and came in to land almost exactly where I was standing. As I dove for cover, I saw that the dragon had a rider. I got to my feet just in time to see him jump off as the dragon skidded into a stone wall. The dragon rider hit the ground in a graceful roll and popped up on his feet, bantastic in hand. It was a raff. I didn't question how or why. I just got to my feet and shouted, Imps and leprechauns to me! The dragon is on our side! Everyone, to me! A raff blew his whistle. To their credit, our force spent no time in dazed wonder when they saw their prince arrive miraculously from the grave astride a dragon. They went right into battle mode and cheered as they went back on the offensive. The attackers that were still standing retreated as fast as their legs would carry them. If that sixth sense is true, then it pretty quickly told them to get the hell out of there. Another explosion of fire lit up the southern end of the battlefield as a crimson-colored dragon, the one that I recognized as red, swooped over our position. Its rider, with that unmistakable American accent, shouted, Yee-haw! Dragon Red landed on top of the headquarters building just long enough for Brendan to slide off. Hey, O'Neill! The policeman slash dragon rider shouted over the sound of Red launching himself back into the sky. It's good to see you're not dead. Same to you, copper, I shouted. I was just about to ask Araf what the heck was going on when I heard the sound of a battle horn coming from the courtyard. Someone shouted, They're attacking the tree! By the time I got to the entranceway, it was almost over. A dozen brownies were lying dead on the ground with arrows sticking out of the centers of their chests. Spiag was still firing, even though he had a crossbow bolt in his thigh and another in his shoulder. 
There were four remaining brownies. Two of them had axes and were trying to get to the Tree of Knowledge. Spiog went for the axe bearers when he should have gone for the one in the back. I saw that brownie cock his arm and then I saw a dagger leave his hand. A split second later, two arrows hit the knife thrower, one in the throat from Spiog and the other in the chest from Brendan on the roof. But they weren't in time to stop the throw. The knife was well off its mark, but as I watched, it curved in midair and honed in on the ancient archer's heart. It hit him square in the chest. He dropped his bow, then crumpled first onto his knees and then onto his back. Brendan dispatched the other attackers from the roof and then, out of habit, shouted, Officer down! He slid down the buttress and arrived at Spiag's side almost as quickly as I did. I lifted the archer's head. He coughed and blood poured from his mouth. Is... Is the tree safe? he asked. Yes, master. Good. He coughed again, closing his eyes in pain. Connor. Don't let Essa go. If you don't tell her how you feel, you will regret it for the rest of your life. Trust me. I know. He coughed again and wiped his mouth with the back of his hand. When he saw the blood on his fingers, he said, Oh dear, could you find Dahi for me? Brendan took the archer's head. I turned. There were several soldiers watching, dumbfounded. Get Dahi, I ordered, and they scattered into several directions. Brendan was weeping openly. Spiag smiled and said to him, if the ewes allow it, I want you to have my bow. Brendan tried to speak, but nothing came out. Dahi crashed to his knees next to us. He took Spiag's hand and said, Hey, old man. Who are you calling old? Spiag smiled, his eyes still closed. Dahi looked up and barked, Someone get a healer. Dahi's old comrade-in-arms shook his head. The meaning was obvious. A healer would do no good. Then he opened his eyes and said, She lives, Dahi. Who lives, old friend? Dahi asked. Pain and coughing racked Spiag's body. Blood poured freely from the side of his mouth. I didn't think he would open his eyes again, but then he reached up and grabbed Dahi on the side of the arm. Maka! Maka lives! Then his hand dropped and he breathed his last. The folds of his tunic had obscured the knife in Spiag's chest. As Brendan laid him down, the material fell away, and the green knife handle came into view. Dahi pulled it from the torso and examined it closely. Where did this come from? A sinking feeling like a punch in the stomach almost made me wretch. I walked over to the dead brownie that had thrown the knife. I knelt down and rolled his body over. It was Demi, the eldest son of the brownie king. It was Frank. 
By the time I looked up, Essa, Araf, and Tawn were in the courtyard. My head was spinning. Overwhelmingly conflicting emotions mixed with confusion made me almost catatonic. I had just won a battle, but had been partly responsible for the death of Master Spiag. But then, here were my friends brought back from the dead. The sound of flapping and screaming in the sky snapped me back to full attention. High, high above us flew a dragon. Below him hung a writhing, screaming man. When Red was directly over our heads, he opened his talons and let the man go. The screaming ended when the free-falling body hit the side of the headquarters roof. The snapping of his neck was plain to hear. He bounced and landed on the ground face down, not far away from Essa. The princess used her foot to flip him over. It was Turlo. Essa stared at him with a clenched jaw as her eyes watered up. I wanted to do that, she said. You have been listening to The Prince of Hazel and Oak, a podcast novel by John Lenahan. Music gratefully provided by Lunison. You can hear more of their fabulous music at www.lunasa.ie. That's L-U-N-A-S-A dot I-E. You can learn more about Shadow Magic and its author on www.shadowmagic.co.uk. Thank you so much for listening. Shadow Magic, book one of the series, is available from HarperCollins in paperback, EPUB, and Kindle formats.